The following show has a lot of explicit content. I'm sure you'll like it because of that. It's Monday, August 27th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I'm back from vacation, Tybee Island, Georgia. Yeah, I took a tour of the Tybee Island Lighthouse. It's one of the top one thing to do in Tybee Island. The first Tybee Island Lighthouse was built too close to the shore. It was destroyed in a storm. So after that mistake, the second Tybee Island Lighthouse was built in the exact same place. Interestingly, a different fate befell it. It was destroyed in a storm. Oh, wait, I'm just looking back at my notes. Ah, yes, that is what happened to the first Tybee Island Lighthouse also. So by the time the 1740s rolled around, this Tybee Island Lighthouse was the largest man-made structure in what would become the United States. Wow! Of course, the second biggest man-made structure at that time was a lean-to attached to Thomas Jefferson. No, just kidding. Thomas Jefferson wasn't born yet. The Tybee Island Lighthouse factored into the Civil War when General Robert E. Lee burnt it down out of a sense of abundant caution. The locals still blamed the Yankees for that decision. Look what you made me do. Well, I could go on about the Tybee Island Lighthouse, but then you wouldn't pay the seven bucks for a tour of the lighthouse, and I wouldn't want to eat into the Tybee Island economy like that after they gave me so much on my vacation. But upon my return, we did get the sad news that John McCain passed away, and for three straight days now, the news media has given us nothing but hosannas for the man. They've gone so far that I am now convinced that if I died, And Tom Sawyer, like, I was able to come back and witness my own remembrance, and that remembrance was conducted via wall-to-wall cable news. After three days, I'd be like, already, enough of this guy. I am sick of him. And I happen to hold myself in very high regard. So what I was thinking about is why is McCain so revered? Yes, honor. He had honor, a sense of honor and a sense of humor. Those are two great things in combination. And he had a willingness to take the maverick's position. But what does it mean to be a maverick? Sarah Palin associated herself with the maverick position, and she wasn't inaccurate, and yet she was possibly the worst remnant of McCain's legacy. Is it that John McCain was the kind of Republican the liberal media wishes all Republicans would be, which is to say he was respectful of the media and also not too Republican on a lot of issues? I'd say that plays into it. The vast majority of media members issuing encomia for McCain today fell to actually vote for McCain back then. I began to think of this as something of an irony, but you know what? It's not an irony. I think it's, in fact, a necessary consequence of politics these days and how politics are covered. So the legitimate media really does try to cover politics fairly. And when the Republican is a person like John McCain, that makes the job easy. John McCain was forthright in his positions. He was open to coverage. He had an easy-to-understand and process biography. And also, as a true hawk, his conservatism was in a specific policy area that is fairly popular among the mainstream media and the public at large. Americans may say they don't like war, but they love the military. It literally is the most respected institution in American life. My point is that if McCain were a conservative on, say, social issues or welfare or even domestic policing, like he was a conservative on the military, and even if he was otherwise the same honorable, decent man that he actually was. But if that were the case, 
he wouldn't be as respected by the mainstream media as he is. And McCain deserves our respect. But think about what this outpouring says about our politics. It says that our politics can either have actual legislative accomplishments or it can have principled stances that don't go anywhere, but it can't really have both. Mitch McConnell is a better legislator than John McCain was. I don't agree with maybe any part of Mitch McConnell's agenda, but he's just better at wheedling and cajoling and obstructing and using the levers of power than John McCain was. McCain was no slouch, but some of his biggest causes, campaign finance, banning torture, real immigration reform, went absolutely nowhere. McConnell's agenda went somewhere. Chuck Schumer, who is proposing we rename the Russell Senate building after McCain, is a better politician and probably will be more deserving of having a Senate building named after him than McCain is. And Schumer will be eulogized, but not to the extent that McCain's being eulogized. When compared to McCain, Schumer will be seen as more of a partisan, more of a compromiser, maybe more of a wheeler-dealer than McCain was, which is to say a more effective legislator. So we want, meaning the media want, and America defines leadership as something closer to heroism than real-world effectiveness. We love telling a story about heroes, and that story is often of brave failure. We dismiss the stuff that politicians do as politics, not heroism. And it's all pretty childish, isn't it? And if we're being honest, it's a reason why McCain is being so eulogized. Because a eulogy is a story of praise. And McCain fits into the story we want to tell ourselves about ourselves. Even when the political part of the story, better yet, even because the political part of the story is marked by noble failures as opposed to imperfect successes. On the show today, I tell you the three stupidest things I heard on vacation. But first, have you heard about this abolish ice movement? We traced it back to its root causes. It's father. Sean McElwee is a journalist, a data analyst, and an activist. And he's here now. Sean McElwee is, is a thinker. In fact, in this space right here at this moment, I am going to anoint him a public intellectual. Sean, have you been called that before? Wow. I actually don't think I've been All called right, public All right. So this is it. Officially, you're a public intellectual. Day job, something like uh, being the co-founder of At Data Progress. He's a contributor to The Nation. He, I don't know if we totally ascribe this to him, but he was a giant mover in the Abolish Ice movement. So uh, what Zuccotti Park was to Occupy Wall Street, the person of Sean McElwee is to abolish ice. And we're going to talk about what he's been thinking about. Hello, Sean. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. How'd the idea start? How'd the hashtag start rather than just being upset with the actions of ice? How'd you take it into that verb and that movement? There's two things here. One is that... I think that we should treat immigration offenses the way we treat civil offenses mm -hmm. and sort of like, I mean, that's the sort of fundamental problem is you have people who are, are not being deported for any sort of crime. Um, they're being deported for the fundamentally civil offense of being in a country without documentation. Um, so if we get rid of that, we should get rid of the criminalization of migration, et cetera, et cetera. Like that is that is the goal is to cut this down. But ICE as an agency, I think, has a lot of tendencies that are very disturbing. And I think... 
should make people really think like, I don't know if this agency can sort of be reconstituted in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Um, So the things like the detention of uh, journalist Manuel Duran, the things like when Mayor Libby Schaaf sort of gives warning that there's going to be an ice raid, and then they sort of concoct afterwards post hoc this narrative that sort of she was somehow responsible for them not being able to do their, their job despite the fact that they picked up all the people they wanted to pick up. Things like that, I just think, suggest internal dynamics within the agency that should be very disturbing to Americans and should make us really wonder, like, is this an agency that could exist under a Democratic presidency in a way that's healthy? And we actually, I think, have a good idea of that because it exists under Obama. And it was also, like, really fucking bad. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to talk about why is it, though— there are reasons, and you pointed to a couple specific ones, to abolish this particular agency. But you're also saying not only should we abolish the agency because the agency has gone too far, you're also arguing that the very function of the agency yep. should not be a proper government function. However, just in terms of us being a democracy where we have elected officials and the elected officials carry out the will of the voters, that is, maybe not in the specifics, but in general, that is what the mass, mass majority of voters want some form of borders and deportation. So why is what you're proposing, you know, a democratic good as opposed to a tweak or an administrative fix to inject more justice into the system? What what I'm making the argument for is fundamentally like the crimes, the crimes and finger quotes, I'm using finger quotes, the uh-huh. crimes that are being prosecuted are not crimes. They're things that we, sh- we, we choose as a society. What behaviors we sort of bring down the fucking force of law on and what behaviors we don't. And we do not have an ICE-like agency for the people who did the crimes of, you know, 2007 on Wall Street. Um, we have chosen, like, we're basically we not going to prosecute that. We do. It's the SEC. I think it's a great example. Yeah, but the we SEC have... doesn't have jackbooted thugs that break down your door. Well, they and... do. They wear, I mean, they wear blazers, uh, and we don't have to call them thugs, but they can't arrest you. They just don't. I think it's a great analogy. We it's... have these bureaucracies, and I'm going to also say that the bureaucracies can run, be run correctly or poorly, but what we really have eventually is some elected official directing the bureaucracies how to act. In the case of the SEC, they chose not to direct them to arrest people. And in the case of ICE, especially under Trump, they're telling them to go way too far. Why is that an ICE problem and not an elected official problem? Right. I think that goes back to looking at ICE as it was under Obama, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, the, the reason that these ideas sound so... I think out of the ordinary is because of how long the Democratic Party has allowed itself to be enmeshed in right wing framing Um, in the sort of framing that we used for that was sort of felons, not families. Right. There was the sort of and it's weird because that's almost exactly the way Trump thinks about this. It's the bad hombres framing. And what happens when you do that is you sort of allow an increasing number of people who are undocumented to fall into the class of deportable. Um, And often, you know, the people who are being deported who are felons, not families, are people with families with, you know, the wrong amount of drugs at the wrong time. And deportation is an incredibly brutal process, right? I mean, like, in in a lot of cultures, banishment is seen as next to death. Um, In a lot of cases, you're taking people from homes that they've had and 
and families that they've had, and they're leaving with with nothing. You know, it's it's an, an incredibly brutal punishment for an incredibly small crime. And I, I'm fairly confident the Democratic base is with me on on those core propositions. But you're not even giving credit to why Democrats would not want to end all deportations. I'm more or less a Democrat who doesn't want to end all deportations. All right, maybe I'll talk, I, talk you through I, it. I think open borders would have enormous costs, and we don't have open borders. If we were to announce a policy of open borders, that would have enormous costs. That would be bad for the United States. That would be a bad experiment. And therefore, we have to enforce rules to regulate our borders. So premise, totally open borders would be a bad thing for the United States. I sign on to that premise. You don't. I, I should be clear. I do support open borders. Yeah. Open borders, in, it doesn't really have anything to do, in my mind, with abolish ICE. The concern that fundamentally motivates abolish ICE is interior enforcement, okay. particularly against long-term residents. And that is mostly what ICE does, uh, you know, enforcement removal operations. They're doing interior enforcement. You know, you have the sort of people who are being turned away at the border that, like, those do do count to the deportation numbers. I don't think that I, I worry about them as much. What I really worry about is the folks who have been here, you know, for a year five years, 10 years, those deportation actions. And those are the things that communities organize around. What happens after you abolish ICE? What do you do with the functions that ICE served? Yeah, well, I mean, so the sort of theory of change on this is that the the, the timing in which abolish ICE would, would happen would be under a Democratic Congress, House and Senate, right? I'm a I'm a realistic guy. I'm a real politics guy. I'm a hard-nosed, you know, thinker here. Yeah. <laughs> and what that means is that we're going to be fundamentally sort of rethinking our immigration system. And so why I say all these things that are very, very left is so that the sort of window of discussion within the Democratic Party of what do we want to do, there is always a left flank mm-hmm. um, that is like shoring up that idea. And In 2021, when we have a chance to push through immigration, I want that to be the most progressive legislation we can possibly get. So I want to not just rethink ICE, but rethink the criminalization of migration. And if we do all of that, the number of actual offenses that ICE would be prosecuting would decrease dramatically. Uh, Okay, so you mentioned the window. Your Twitter bio says Overton window mover. This is the idea of changing the discussion, changing the parameters, maybe establishing such a uh, radical position that maybe that doesn't get done, but you at least move the discussion somewhere. Why is it a good tactic to acknowledge that explicitly? To explicitly acknowledge that you're moving the Overton window when you're moving it? Yeah. Shouldn't it be, we want this, we want to occupy Wall Street because this is what we really want. What we don't want is uh, Dodd-Frank. So it seems like you're saying at once, I really want these things, but at the very least, we're an Overton window mover. Yeah, I would say that the way... Because someone could come back and say, he doesn't even really want them. He's not even as convicted by what he says. He really just wants it to be tweaked, not abolished. Well, I, I mean, I, I actually genuinely would like to, like, zero out funding for ICE. Like, that is uh, that is a 100% sincere belief. Uh, I will only be happy when that happens. But in the meantime, the movement to abolish ICE has reduced its popularity dramatically. Uh, we, we've seen in, in, like, a three-month period, 11-point decrease in favorability. Um, and that means it's lost political capital. All agencies have political capital. In order to sort of make things happen, you have to have, like, some level of popularity. You have to have some level of 
you know, politicians who like want to work with you to get things done. And, and ICE is increasingly toxic. And that means that every time you have an omnibus bill, detention beds are more toxic. The Democratic base really, really hates ICE. If you were seen as like too close to ICE as a politician, uh, you could lose a Democratic primary in the right district. But if a senator, not you, who is trying to move the Overton window, if a senator were to sign on to this, certainly he or she would have to worry about the dislocation of what everyone agrees is the proper enforcement of the law to stop child trafficking, a guy who steals laser guidance systems and tries to sell them on eBay. ICE literally, you know, busts that guy. And if there's a dislocation in that and some of that slips through because we screwed up the democracy, a senator is going to be on the hook for that. They at least they they have to have thought it out. I mean, I don't. I, it's one thing that's sort of confused about this debate is like when bureaucratic reorganizations of federal government happen frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the ICE, ICE was originally was created, created by a yeah. by a bureaucratic reorganization, and I actually find the argument pretty persuasive that we are due for another reorganization. That is the fundamental sort of premise of the DHS in the sort of post nine eleven apparatus was like that homeland security was the sort of like central concern uh in my opinion at this point like that is not as true and you can easily imagine why are we conceptualizing immigration still as a homeland security issue instead of like an economic question and you know the the ins before it was under the department of justice was actually under commerce department and and it's sort of like what we can rethink how we're enforcing these laws and rethink the structure of the agencies. Sean McElwee contributes to The Nation. He's the co-founder of Data for Progress, and um, he's one of the prime movers behind the hashtag and movement Abolish ICE. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Now the spiel, the three stupidest things I heard on vacation. And I'll get there, but let me take the long way around. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders recently made up some facts about African-American employment, but it is true that the black unemployment rate is at an all-time low of 6%, which means, broadly speaking, for every 100 black folks seeking a job, there are 94 jobs. The only thing is, Steve Harvey has taken up about 92 of them. He hosts a TV show, a radio show, he tours as a comic, he hosts Celebrity Family Feud, and of course he hosts The Daily Family Feud. Now, Family Feud, big hit in my family. We do love us some game shows, but over vacation, I soured on The Family Feud. I was watching the Fast Money Round one night with my kids and girlfriend, I believe it was Tuesday, August 21st, and the Anthony family was playing the Hopkins family. No joke, Clarice. Steve Harvey made all the obligatory Remains of the Day references. Then this question came up on Fast Money. Name the biggest state. The answer that the first contestant gave, Hawaii, got a... The second person answered California, which got a couple points. That was annoying enough. But then came the part where Steve told us what the most popular answer was. And the most popular answer for name the biggest state was Texas. Texas. The question wasn't name the biggest state in the contiguous 48. It was name the biggest state. And the most popular answer was wrong. You know that, right? It was wrong. Here's how this question needs to go. Name the biggest state. Alaska. Show me Alaska. Ding, 100. First time. History of Family Feud. 100. 
Second player to come up in fast money. Name the biggest state. Alaska. <clears throat> Try again. Not going to stick with Alaska, not budging from it. And that should be rewarded as correct. Ding, 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 ding. The question needs to be pulled if the answer is something other than Alaska. The producers, Steve, and I know Steve has a lot on his plate, but someone needs to jump in there and say, no, any state other than Alaska is wrong. That's what should be considered wrong. Because if you said Texas and are rewarded with that being the number one answer, what would that mean? What would that say? That my ignorance neatly aligns with the ignorance of my fellow citizen? That answer is not good for Steve Harvey or America. The second stupidest thing I heard on vacation was this commercial played during Family Feud presented here with minimal comment. Ozempic should not be the first medicine for treating diabetes or for people with type 1 diabetes or diabetic ketoacidosis. Do not share needles or pens. Don't reuse needles. Do not take Ozempic if you have a personal or family history of medullary thyroid cancer, multiple endocrine neoplasia syndrome type 2, or if you are allergic to Ozempic. Do not take Ozambic if you're allergic to Ozambic. People taking Ozambic should heed this. People not taking Ozambic should familiarize themselves with the definition of the word allergic. I tell you, between the family feud and commercials during the family feud, those are two pretty stupid things. You know how they talk about beach reads and beach reads are like pop boilers or romance novels, you know, put your brain on hold, don't challenge yourself. I had to delve into several back issues of the New York Review of Books while on the beach just to counteract the effects of my media consumption while in the house. So those were two of the three stupidest things I heard on vacation. And now here is the stupidest thing. Did you know about the payments? Uh, Later on, I knew. Later on. But you have to understand, Ainsley, what he did, and they weren't taken out of campaign finance. That's a big thing. That's a much bigger thing. Did they come out of the campaign? They didn't come out of the campaign. They came from me, and I tweeted about it. You know, I put, I don't know if you know, but I tweeted uh, about the payments. But they didn't come out of campaign. In fact, my first question when I heard about it was, did they come out of the campaign? I will break the tension by answering the question. The answer was no, they did not come out of the campaign, according to President Trump. This is stupid because Trump obviously thinks that that, line of logic or events is a defense when it's actually an incrimination. It's not exculpatory. It's inculpatory. I say that a lot these days, but we know how this is going to go. This is how it always goes. There's a pattern. Trump says something extremely stupid and it hurts his cause, but he insists on it time and time again. He insists it's not stupid. He insists it helps his cause. For weeks, everyone points out, that's stupid. It's hurting your cause. And then one day, Trump reverses himself and says a version of, well, everyone knew that anyway. Example, no collusion, no collusion. There wasn't collusion. Everyone who knows anything about the law, yeah, but that doesn't matter because collusion isn't a crime. No collusion, no collusion. And then this. Colluding about Russians. which I'm not even know if that's a crime, colluding about Russians. Okay. (laughs) Hey, everyone knew that anyway. Here's another example. My team met with Natalia Veselnitskaya in Trump Tower about adoptions, not to get dirt on Hillary for a year. The Veselnitskaya meeting was about adoptions, adoptions. And everyone who knew anything, oh, that's a lie, that's a lie. And then one day, it was just three weeks ago, Trump tweets, this was a meeting to get information on an opponent Totally legal and done all the time in politics, and it went nowhere. Which is okay, because we knew it all along. Yes, Mr. President, your base still supports you. Tautology, because that's what a base does. And yes, we've all priced in the fact that you're lying, but it's not a genius political maneuver. It's still inculpatory, sir. It's not exculpatory. Inculpatory. 
I suppose the stupidest thing I heard all week was bound to be uttered or tweeted by Donald Trump, just had to be. Now, you might be saying, Mike, I thought you were on vacation. Shouldn't you be getting away from all this? And I say, no, not at all. I like the news. That's why I do this job. I am drawn to the odd spectacle of the president blasting himself in the face with a shotgun and then bragging that he's more accurate than Dick Cheney ever was. Really, I don't mind it. I mean, people who are allergic to stupid things President Trump says should avoid stupid things President Trump says, but I know of no vacation destination far enough away to achieve that. And that's it for today's show. The stupidest thing that producers Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader heard before I left on vacation was, come on, it's the penultimate week of August. Don't worry, guys, it's going to be a slow news time. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. The stupidest thing he heard about my vacation was Sleeps 6, Airbnb, believe at your own risk, am I right? The gist, where the stupidest thing a just guest heard during the week I was away was... Sorry, chap house fellow, we don't have Pedialyte in the office, though I was unaware you had a dyspeptic toddler. Oopro de Peru, and thanks for listening.